0: All right, so the book of Acts we're jumping into today, Um, and just again as a kind of a reminder for those of you that like to be a part of our uh, men's and women's Bible studies, we're kicking those off this week around the content that we're talking about uh, in this series. So men, Thursday morning at 6 a.m. I expect every single man in the room to be there with me. 6 a.m. Thursday. Maybe not all of you. However many can make it. I'd love for you to be there. 6 a.m. on Thursday. Uh, Ladies, you have two options starting tomorrow night, Monday at 6.30 p.m. We have an evening uh, group uh, study for ladies and then Wednesday morning at 10. Uh, And so all that will take place in our conference room on that side of the building. Uh, Invite you to participate in that this week if you're interested. All right, so Acts, the church on the move. You know, as a church, we believe that God is is on the move and that he's doing some work in us and in our church. And our response always to God is to join him in the work that he is doing. Now, Jesus, when he came, he came on a mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. In other words, he came for those who were far from him. And he went all the way to the cross and died to bring sinners to himself. And then Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples for 40 days. And in that time frame, before he ascended back to the Father, he gave his disciples a mission. His mission became our mission. He charged them to take this mission, the good news of the gospel, to the ends of the earth. Now, the life and ministry of Jesus is recorded for us in the Gospels, New Testament books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we see the life and the ministry of Jesus. We see him die on the cross, he's resurrected, and then the gospel accounts kind of stop at that point. And then immediately in the New Testament moves into this book, the book of Acts, which picks up where the life of Jesus kind of left off. And so if you look in your Bible, the book of Acts, actually the, the the formal title is the Acts of the Apostles. So those disciples, those apostles, those men, those 12 that Jesus had appointed and sent out. Apostles literally just means sent ones. And so what the book of Acts tells us is it tells us the acts of the apostles, the activity of Jesus's sent ones as they took the gospel into all the world. And so what you see, actually, we could probably more appropriately name this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit, Because what we see is the Holy Spirit comes, and we'll see that today, and takes the gospel to the ends of the earth, and he uses people. He uses the church to do this. So the Holy Spirit we'll see today comes, the church is born, the gospel goes throughout the world. And and what we see in the book of Acts, let me just summarize it for you this way. I'll use these phrases probably throughout this series. If I could summarize the book of Acts in three phrases, it would be this. What we're gonna see is bold faith, Intense opposition and the explosive power of the gospel we're going to see bold faith by his followers that's quickly met and constantly met with intense opposition but ultimately the story goes that we see the the explosive power of the gospel as the gospel goes forth and changes hearts and lives and and I just want to tell you this morning that my hope and my prayer for this series is is that what we see in the book of Acts would inspire us to have a bold faith. Because if, if I took a poll and just this group in the room and asked you how bold you think you are with your faith, uh, we would probably feel all a little bit ashamed, wouldn't we? That we tend to get caught up in our lives and the comfort of our lives and the stuff and the activity of our lives that We're not always bold in our faith. And my hope is that we'll see the boldness of the apostles and it will inspire us to have and to live out a bold faith. But here's what I also want us to be ready for, just as a warning, is that we'll be ready for opposition. Because when we actually live for Christ, which is totally contrary to the way this world operates, when we actually have a bold faith, we will experience opposition. Now, I doubt we're going to experience the kind of intense opposition that we see in the book of Acts, but here's what I know. Any opposition that we face always feels pretty doggone intense, doesn't it? When people oppose us for our faith. And so I want us to be ready for that. If you will actually step out and live with bold faith, you will be opposed for it. But ultimately, my, my hope and my prayer for us as a church and for you individually is that you, that we will experience the explosive power of the gospel. And maybe that's for a friend that you have that um, doesn't know Jesus. Maybe that's a family member in your own household. Maybe that's a coworker, a fellow student, a neighbor. Uh, Maybe it's for you. My hope is that collectively that we will experience the explosive power of the gospel. You know the greatest way that we experience the explosive power of the gospel? It's when somebody puts their faith in Jesus. And it absolutely turns their life upside down i've experienced the explosive power of the gospel it's changed my life and i continue to experience it throughout my life and my hope for you for us is that we would experience that as a church that's why we're calling this the year of mission because we want to live on mission we want to see the gospel at work in our lives and in our community so the sermon today is called this power to the people power to the people. Acts chapter 1 and 2, we're going to kind of run through um, Acts 1 and 2. And I just want to give you, I feel like we've been in chapters 1 and 2 off and on. We've touched on it throughout the last six months or so. Uh, I just want to give us a big picture of Acts 1 and 2. We'll walk through some of this. Hopefully for those of you that are joining us in our Bible reading plan, you'll be in Acts 1 and 2 tomorrow or this week. Uh, Let me give you a big picture outline of chapters 1 and 2. Here's what we see. We see Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down, the gospel goes out, disciples come together. So Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down, the gospel goes out, the disciples come together. Let me pray and then we're gonna jump into Acts 1 and 2, all right? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. We've experienced so much of your goodness and grace Um, Already today, Lord, thank you for uh, allowing us to celebrate um, the fact that we are debt-free as a church. Lord, thank you more than that, that because of what Christ has done for us, that our sins are forgiven, that we are free of the debt of sin, that we could never in a thousand lifetimes pay off. But because of what you have done for us, we can be forgiven, we can find freedom like we've sung about today. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the book of Acts that we're getting ready to dive into over these next few months. Lord, I pray that you would inspire us to bold faith. Lord, a faith that maybe some of us would um, say that we don't possess, uh, that we want to possess. God, would you inspire that in us? Would you build that into us? Would you produce boldness of of faith in our lives? Uh, Lord, we We know that if we are to live this way, that we as individuals, we as a church, will experience opposition, that the world and uh, the forces of darkness will come against us. Lord, would you prepare us and strengthen us, give us your grace to endure that. Uh, Lord, we want to see your gospel explode in our lives, in our church, in our community. God, we want to see you do a work amongst us. And so, Lord, that's what we're praying for. We're praying that you would give us gospel opportunities to speak the gospel, to live out the truth of the gospel. Um, God, I'm praying that people would come to know Christ because of what you are doing in this church. And so, God, would you use us to that end? Would you open our eyes to the scriptures this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus goes up. We're going to read Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. Acts 1, 1 through 11. Here's what it says. Verse number one, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So let me just pause there. The, the writer of this book is Dr. Luke. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And what you see in the Luke chapter one is that he was writing to this gentleman named Theophilus. Um, if you're looking for a baby name, that's a great one. Um, in the first book he wrote to him, the first book was Luke. This is the second book. It's kind of an ongoing story. So in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse two, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So What he's saying is, in in my first book, in the book of Luke, the Gospel, I explained. uh, You know, I began to explain about what Jesus began to do and teach while he was alive, and then he died, and then he appeared to you um, from the grave, and he he began to speak to you about the kingdom of God. Verse number four, And while staying with them, while he was with the apostles, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John, John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus' instruction to the apostles during that 40 days before he ascended to heaven, he said, wait here. Wait, wait for the promise of the Father, which which I spoke about, Jesus said. That promise was the promise of the Holy Spirit who was going to come. Jesus said, when I go, God is going to send, the Father is going to send to you another comforter, the Holy Spirit who's going to be with you forever. And so... What Jesus says was, stay here in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Verse number six, so when they had come together, they asked, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like Jesus, you returned from the dead. Are you ready to set up your kingdom? Are you gonna make it rain? Are you gonna bring judgment? Are you gonna set up your kingdom on earth? That was their question. His response, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It will come, but not yet, and it's not for you to know when that will take place. Verse 8, and this is really the key text of the whole book of Acts. Acts 1.8, "...but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and extending out into all Judea and Samaria." All the way to the ends of the earth. So wait here, you will see the Holy Spirit is going to give you power to be my witnesses. Verse 9 And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, as he ascended, behold, two men or angels stood by him in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so they basically tell them, hey, he's coming back the same way that he went in the clouds. He will return. He will set up his kingdom. He'll do all that that you're curious about, but not right now. He will return. But verse number eight, let me go back to that. Again, the key text in all of, of the book of Acts. Jesus says, hey, Wait here. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, the power of the Holy Spirit who comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, starting here and to the ends of the earth. And so this really actually gives us a clean, kind of clear breakdown of the whole book of of Acts. So what you see in chapters 1 through 7 is... The Holy Spirit comes. We'll see that in a moment here in chapter two. The Holy Spirit comes. The church is born, and then for the first seven chapters of Acts, we see the Spirit moving throughout Jerusalem and 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 the gospel witness moving through Jerusalem. And then in chapters eight and nine, uh, eight through chapter nine, uh, verse thirty-one, we see the gospel goes out beyond Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, and then from chapters nine thirty-two all the way to the end of the book, chapter twenty-eight. We see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, which includes good old Lugoff, South Carolina. Amen. The church goes forward. The gospel goes forth. The church is born and expands all the way to the ends of the earth. Some people would describe Kershaw County as the end of the earth. You know what I'm saying? The gospel got here because of what we see in Acts 1 and chapter 2 also. So Jesus goes up. Jesus goes up. He tells him, wait for the promise. Uh, Then what you see in the rest of chapter one, which we're not going to read through, what you see then is the the apostles. Uh, You know how many apostles there were originally? You remember? Anybody? There's 11 at this point. There were 12. Number 12, there was a traitor amongst them, right? Judas, who after he betrayed Jesus, uh, went and hanged himself. And so now we have 11. And so what we see in Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through the rest of that chapter, is the 12 apostles uh, are are choosing or selecting a 12th apostle to fill that, that empty role there. So verse 14 and 15, I just want to read this to you. It says, all these, all the disciples were with one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he begins to speak to them about um, selecting another apostle. But what I wanted to point out to you is that these disciples are gathered in the upper room. It says, did you see how many of them are gathered? Anybody see that? 120, all right? So there's 120 disciples gathered. This is the beginning of the movement. It's 12 apostles now. They select the 12th apostle. There's 120 of them in this upper room. This is the place from which the church is born, all right? So Jesus goes up. Here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit comes down. Holy Spirit comes down. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. But remember, Jesus had to go up before the Holy Spirit could come down. So chapter 2, starting in verse number 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, okay, so this was a a feast of the Jewish people. Uh, it was 50 days following Passover. And so we had all kinds of people from different nations gathered for the celebration. It was at the end of the harvest period. So they're gathered for the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Speaking of the disciples here. And, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This is the Holy Spirit coming, and he, he rests on them. He he's, appears as divided tongues as of fire. So like fire, he rests upon them. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay, so all kinds of diversity. Men from every nation under heaven. Verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together. Okay, they heard the, the sound, this mighty rushing wind. They all gathered together. It says they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak In his own language, so you have this melting pot of of, of Jews speaking different languages, and they hear this this, these words being spoken in their own language. Verse seven, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Are these not all those who are speaking? uh, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans?" The smoke is getting to me off. (laughs) Uh, Verse number eight. And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? And he goes on and describes some of the people that are gathered here. Verse number nine. uh, Parthians and and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Man, you're getting your money's worth today. Woo! All right, we hear them telling in our own tongues, pay attention to that. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? but others mocking said they're filled with new wine. These guys are drunk, they're just talking gibberish. All right, that was the consensus with some of them. So the Holy Spirit comes down. This is what we know as the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, some amazing things happen. There's some big things that happen for the first time here uh, in history. So the Holy Spirit, we hear of the Spirit throughout the Bible and even throughout the Old Testament. But the activity of the Holy Spirit, we always see the Spirit coming and resting on individuals. And he would empower them for a time. It was momentary. It was for a short season or time. But it wasn't permanent. And this is why in Psalm 51, David, when he's praying to uh, the Lord, he says, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because the Spirit would come and rest on and empower uh, people for service, but then would, you know, move away. It was temporary. He was... He was uh, like a renter, you know what I'm saying? He didn't, there was no ownership there, but something different happens at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit rests upon them, but then the Holy Spirit, it says, fills them. So this is what we would call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and now he takes up residence in every single person who puts their faith in Jesus. It's a permanent residency. He comes in and takes residence ownership of those who believe in him. And so every single one of us who have ever put our faith in Jesus, what happens at the moment of faith? We call it regeneration. It's when the Holy Spirit comes in and regenerates or brings to life our dead spirit. He comes in, takes up residence, he brings life to our spirit, and he lives within us for all of our days. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And no believer up until this point could ever claim that the Holy Spirit was in them and indwelt them. So this is an incredible, incredible thing. Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down, but then the Holy Spirit also comes within Believers, and this is an amazing, amazing thing. First Corinthians 12 speaks to this. First Corinthians 12 13. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, we are all immersed into the spirit of God, into the body of Christ. And so, y'all, at this moment, the church is born. This was the moment of, uh, of birth for the church when the church is, is established. Now, we see this, this, this language in here about speaking in tongues. And y'all, we could spend a whole morning or a whole series, probably spend a whole month talking about speaking in tongues. And we won't, we won't dive into that. There's a lot of disagreement on, on what that looks like today. Are those gifts still in operation? Can People still speak in tongues, but what I want you to notice, like I think the primary thing to notice in this is that everyone, you had this gathering of people who all spoke different languages, and the Spirit filled them. They began to speak in in other tongues, other languages. That word tongues literally is this Greek word glossalia, which we get the word glossary from. It means another tongue or another language. So the people who were speaking didn't understand what they were speaking but there were other people that were understanding the language because they were speaking in known languages. And so you have people who are empowered by the Spirit to speak in a language they don't know, and many, many people are doing this, but did you catch what what everyone was speaking about? It says that they were telling the mighty works of God. So they were speaking different languages, but they were all saying the same thing. They were all praising and glorifying God, they were unified in this. And I just want to read this quote from a theologian named John Stott. He said this, ever since the early church fathers, commentators have seen the blessing of Pentecost as a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel. Do y'all remember Babel? It was way back in Genesis chapter 11, way back in the beginning. All the people were gathered. They spoke one language. They begin to build this tower to heaven. And God looked down and he saw the hearts of, of, of people and said, mm, they're trying to reach to the heavens. They're trying to be like God. And so you know what God did? He confounded their languages and he, he spread them out. He dispersed them. And this is where languages and, and people groups and everything kind of formed. It was from the curse at Babel when God said, hey, if I just make them all speak a different language, they can't cooperate to, to come against me and then try to take the place of God. And so what is amazing about what happens at Pentecost is it's a reversal of that. God previously dispersed people, gave them different languages. Here he brings them all together. They're all speaking in different tongues or languages, but they're all speaking the same thing. They're speaking in praise and glory to God. And and so at Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit comes down The church is born, the the, the spirit indwells believers. This is a reversal of the curse at Babylon. So an amazing, amazing moment. This is where the church begins to, to flourish. So Jesus goes up, Holy Spirit comes down. Here's the third thing, the gospel goes out. The gospel goes out. Now, we're not gonna read this next section in Acts chapter 2. I did preach a whole sermon on this. This was a sermon from the Apostle Peter. But what you see in this moment, the Holy Spirit fills believers. People are wondering, what's going on? What are they drinking, all right? Some of them are probably like, can I have some of that? Okay, because it looks fun, whatever. Like this whole like, scene is taking place. The Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit has come down. People are questioning what's going on. Peter steps up to the plate and he preaches this amazing, bold, faith-filled sermon where he just puts the gospel out there, which in this moment was kind of a risk. There was kind of this tension of all these people from all these places and here he steps up to the plate and basically tells them, this Jesus whom you have crucified, God has raised from the dead and he is your only hope. In fact, I just want to read a couple verses, chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. Peter stands up and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he preaches this message and he, in essence, says, this Jesus, you crucified, you're responsible for his death. But God raised him up and he goes on and preaches the gospel to them. And they respond to him. Verse number 37 and 38 says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. There was conviction to their core. And they they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is always the response to the gospel is when it convicts us to the heart, we say, well, what, what, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to respond to this? Brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit brothers what shall we do what is peter's response he says repent repent you know what repent means it means to turn away from your sin turn away from your way of life turn turn away from the path that you're going down and turn towards Jesus turn towards his way turn to him repent and be baptized. Now, I want to take a minute here because this is a verse that uh, for generations has caused confusion amongst God's people. Because here's, here's what it appears to say. If you want to be forgiven of your sins, you need to repent and you need to what? Be baptized. So believe, but then you need to be dunked. Okay, this is not what What Peter is saying because the gospel is this you see this consistently throughout the New Testament there's some places where like this where it appears that he's saying okay you need to repent you need to believe but then you need to do something you need to be baptized in order to receive forgiveness in order to receive the gift of his spirit but consistently across the New Testament it teaches believe and receive but here's the reality here's the reality is that repentance and baptism are so closely linked. You see it so often together in the New Testament because baptism is this outward picture, this physical representation of what's taking place, what has taken place inwardly and spiritually, that the gospel has taken hold of my life, that I've believed in Christ, I'm now dead to my sin, and now I'm a new, a new person. I've been raised to walk in a brand new life. And so throughout the New Testament, you see these two things connected because baptism is important. It's important because it tells the world, listen, I've repented, I believed in Christ, now I'm following him. I am now a son or daughter of God. This is my identity. And so I'm identifying with Christ by baptism. This is why we're baptizing next week because we would call this the first step of obedience. After you've repented, of your sins, you've put your faith in Jesus, the very first thing that we ought to do if we wanna be obedient is we wanna put that repentance on display and be baptized. And so that's, this is why this is such a big deal and such a cool thing for us to come around uh, folks getting baptized because we're cheering them on and saying, welcome to the family. You are one of us. You have received Christ and we love you and we're excited for you because God has changed your life. But make sure you hear me. The only thing we need to do to receive forgiveness, to receive the gift of his spirit, is we do what? Repent. Repent. Turn from your way. Believe in the gospel. Turn his way. And this is the message that Peter proclaims. And the result of this gospel message, they're cut to the heart. They're convicted to the core. Verse number 41, here's the result. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So on the very same day that this church in Jerusalem started, they started with 120 people. They like within a day, within hours, they jumped from 120 people to 3,120 people. Pretty phenomenal growth, right? Incredible that God did this. this. This is the explosive power of the gospel. That when God's spirit is working, he's taking the word of God, the gospel of Christ, he's using it to convict hearts, and they respond by receiving what he said. And so 3,000 people in one day said, I'm in, I believe, I receive, I receive forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And y'all, I don't want us to miss this point. Jesus goes up the Holy Spirit comes down. And sometimes we look at the day of Pentecost and we go, it's all about the Holy Spirit. And it's all about the Holy Spirit causing all these people to speak in tongues. And he's doing this dramatic work where it's as tongues of fire and there's a the sound of this mighty rushing wind. And it's this whole like experiential thing. And it's all about the Spirit coming. But don't miss that half of chapter two in the book of Acts, it's, half of it's about the Spirit of God coming. Half of it is the declaration of the gospel. And so these two things always work hand in hand, that the Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God, the gospel, and what he does through that is he brings conviction to the hearts of people. And we respond by saying, well, what do I do? And the answer is, repent, repent. And we see on the the day the Holy Spirit has come down, the gospel goes out 3,000 people repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ. Y'all, you know what my hope is as a church? I mean, I would love to see 3,000 souls come to faith in Christ, but we would be bursting at the seams. We wouldn't be renovating an area. We'd be like tearing down and building bigger, right? Um, I would love to see 3,000 people come to Christ. But what if, what if in 2023, we saw 30 people come to Christ? Would that not be an amazing glorifying, God-glorifying thing to see 30 people's lives go from darkness to light. Wouldn't that be amazing? What if 13 people's lives were eternally changed because of what happens through this people? Wouldn't that be a representation of the explosive growth of the gospel? Wouldn't we rejoice in that, amen? What if three people three people that we know and love their lives were forever changed because of this year and what we do would we not praise god for that it, the explosive power of the gospel but the gospel's got to go out through a spirit empowered people jesus goes up holy spirit comes down the gospel goes out here's the the, the final thing the disciples come together We'll just read this briefly because we've, we've been in and out of this passage so many times. Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see the, the disciples come together. And, and I believe this is what we want to see continue to happen. I believe it's happening in our church. We want to see this happen. If we're going to see three or 13 or, 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 or 30 or 300 or 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, disciples come together. Verse 42, we see this mutual devotion. Uh, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the community with one another, to the breaking of bread, which sometimes refers to the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it refers to eating meals together. Uh, Here it's more about the the Lord's Supper. They're breaking bread together. They're devoted to that. They're devoted to prayers. So we have mutual devotion. Verse 43, we see mutual awe. It says awe or fear or wonder, astonishment, uh, reverence comes upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done, uh, being done through the apostles. So mutual devotion, mutual awe. So all were in awe. Okay, tongue twister. A L L were in A W E. Are you following? Are you tracking with me? I'm just trying to make sure you all are awake. All were in awe. Okay, you're not. We'll keep going. Uh, verses 44 and 45. Mutual care. We see this mutual care amongst the people. All who believed were what? Say that word. Together. Let's say that all together. All who believed were together. 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 That's such a big word in the book of Acts. We see it like 32 times. All the people who believed were together. They were unified and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was this mutual care. Like their natural selfishness was swallowed up by love and care for one another. They became family. And then we see in the last couple of verses this regular worship together and regular eating of meals around the table together. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Which, by the way, that was very short-lived. Because after this, they're not going to have all the favor anymore. They're going to have a lot of opposition, and we'll see that. But they were praising God together, having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So mutual devotion, mutual all, mutual care, regular worship and meals together. disciples came together. there was this unity. they were all with one accord. they were together and day by day the Lord was adding to their church, adding to their church, those who were being saved. so Let me just give us three quick thoughts about our church, where we're at, how this applies to to us as a people, that we are in the year of mission, and we want to reach people with a gospel. Amen? And if we're going to do that, we need power, just like the early church needed. We need power. Uh, Three ways. We We need the Holy Spirit's power to be witnesses. We need the Holy Spirit's power to be witnesses. Jesus says, hey, wait for the Spirit. When the Spirit comes and indwells you, you will have power. You will be empowered to do what I've called you to do. Wait for the Spirit because he's going to empower you to do this Work. Now, there may be a small percentage of you, and maybe very, very, very few that have what we call the spiritual gift of evangelism, where you're just good naturally at talking to others about Jesus. And I won't do it, but I, I bet if I asked for a raise of hands, uh, you know, a show of hands, like maybe one or two, maybe none would raise their hands and say, I'm good at that. I'm just naturally good at that, supernaturally good at that. Most of us were not. Gifted in that way. But whether we're gifted that way or not, we all need the Holy Spirit's power if we're gonna be witnesses to who Jesus is and what he's done, right? We need his power. We need him to give us the opportunity. We need him to be the one who gives us the words and the courage and the faith that we need. We need the Holy Spirit's work in our life. We can't manufacture it. We can't force it. We can't push it. We can pray for it, we can look for it, but we need the Holy Spirit's power to be witnesses. We need, number two, the power of the gospel to change people's hearts. We need the pow- power of the gospel. Listen, you may be pretty darn intelligent. You may have a way with words. Uh, you may be winsome. You may be you know, very theologically accurate, and those are all great things. Uh, I would want that for all of you. But I don't care any of those things. You don't change the heart of people, right? You can't talk somebody into believing in who Jesus is. You can't talk a person into repenting from turning from their way of life to Jesus. You can't do it. There's only one thing that can do it. It's the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel is what cuts to the heart and changes hearts. Romans 1 Paul said it this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what? Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the gospel. We need the power of the gospel. Here's the third and final thing. We need the power of unity for our mission. We need the power of unity for our mission. Y'all hear us talk a lot, I feel like, over the last year about being unified, right? Have you heard us talk about this, that it's important for us to, to push away from division in the church? We need to be unified. In fact, one of the primary themes we see in the New Testament is to be united in our faith, united in Christ. I said it two weeks ago, that the enemy's greatest attack on the church is to bring what? Division. Unity is so important because... We see the example here, and all throughout the book of Acts, that as as we unify, disciples will multiply. As we unify, as we come together with one accord, which literally means with one mind, this doesn't mean that we all all speak the same and look the same. God forbid you all look like another Andrew, all right? But it means we are like-minded, that we think about the gospel, that our affections are for the gospel, that we are unified because as we unify, disciples will multiply. This is, this is kind of contrary to our natural thinking, which is, okay, we gotta stop focusing inward and focusing on ourselves. We gotta focus outward, outside of this building. And while I agree with the sentiment that we don't wanna just be inwardly focused, what the scriptures tell us is that the more we unify around the gospel together, the more disciples will multiply, the more people will see. Jesus says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, by the way that you love one another. And so the more unified we grow, the more disciples are gonna be produced and multiply in our midst. It's by the way that we love one another. And and I just wanna say this before we wrap up. I just want to say thank you for the culture that y'all help us create in this church. This culture is a result of, of the gospel and of what you do. You create a gospel culture here. It's what I would call the, the, the culture of, of invitation. The culture of invitations. Uh, invitation. Romans 15 verse 7 says this. Paul says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So I want you to think about how, how Christ has welcomed you into his kingdom. So if, if you were walking up to the metaphorical door of Jesus' home and you knocked on the door, how do you think he would respond to you? With open arms, right? Welcome. Come on in. Some of you are like, he would, he would see my face on the video doorbell and he said, nope, not today, all right? Like I do with, with some people. Um... You're like, he's, he's had enough of my mess. He is not answering the door today. No, no, no. Jesus always wel- opens the door with open arms, with welcome. He invites us in. He invites us to receive his grace and his goodness, to believe and receive. Paul says, now, the way that you've been welcomed by Christ, welcome one another. So I want to say thank you to y'all because I hear on a week-to-week basis how people come into this place and they sense the welcome of Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for what you do in creating that kind of culture. But let me encourage you. Don't stop. Don't ever stop fighting for that kind of gospel culture of invitation. Because, you see, the more we unify, the more we're unified around the gospel— with one another, we're together, one accord, the easier it is to invite people into this family. Right? So thank you. Keep it up. Keep pushing for that kind of culture in this place. So last thought. Jesus left us with this mission that there's no way we could ever, 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 ever pull off without his power. We need his power. We need the power of his Holy Spirit. We need the power of the gospel. We need the power of unity amongst one another, to do what God has called us to do. And so, Lord, thank you for what we see in your word. Thank you that you love us, that you have come for us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, this gift. Lord, that we can receive by faith, and Lord, you unify us around the gospel. Lord, as we move into this couple minutes of remembering your sacrifice, Lord, thank you um, for all that you have done. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Lord, thank you for what you've done. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen.